I want you to think about what comes to mind when I say the word freedom. Freedom is one of those concepts that gets thrown around a lot, but can be very difficult to, to nail down a good working definition. Roman philosopher Epictetus said this, he said that freedom is nothing other than to live as we wish. But we know that practically that doesn't work. Our sinful nature requires that some measure of restriction and safeguard be in place or it will run wild. Theodore Roosevelt, who we know in this part of the country, said this. He said, order without liberty and liberty without order are equally destructive. In other words, order without Liberty is totalitarianism, it's a dictatorship, and at the same time, liberty without order is chaos and anarchy. Human beings can't handle it. You may have noticed that politically speaking, everyone wants freedom in certain areas and strict law and regulation in other areas. For example, in in years past, those folks on the left side of the aisle would champion free speech and self-expression, while those who were on the right typically were less interested in that particular area of freedom and were fine with some level of censorship. Now, however, you may have noticed the tables have turned a little bit. Many on the left argue against free speech, and many on the right are now championing the cause of uncensored self-expression. It's funny how things change. The concept of freedom is one that is complex because there are many different types of freedom and many different realms in which the idea of freedom comes into play. As we mentioned earlier in the service, today we are remembering and celebrating the Protestant Reformation. And the concept of freedom and the freedom of the Christian was at the heart of the Reformation. In fact, just three years after Luther nailed the 95 Theses on the door of the castle church in Wittenberg, he he wrote a treatise uh, entitled The Freedom of a Christian. Prior to the Reformation, the the church had engaged in sort of this centuries-long manipulation and disinformation campaign, which resulted in theological chaos and confusion. The scriptures were were held captive by the church. People didn't have access to read or study God's word on their own. As the Reformation began, there were a handful of, of questions that were at the very center, at the very core. Questions like, how are we to be made right with God? What is the role of faith? What's the significance of the Bible in the life of the Christian? What happens when we die? All of those questions are intertwined through the very heart of the Protestant Reformation and and mixed in there with all of them is the question of the freedom in the life of the Christian. These are all questions that continue to matter very much. In fact, these questions are probably the most significant questions that you will consider over the course of your life. The questions of the Reformation are the most significant questions questions that we will consider in life. Today, as we consider these questions, the the themes 
of the Protestant Reformation, and particularly as we think about this theme of freedom in Christ, I want to share with you the words of our gospel reading for this Sunday from John chapter 8. We'll start in verse 31. This is God's word to us. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Uh, Loving and gracious God, your word is, as the psalmist says, a lamp for our feet and a light for our path. Uh, We ask that you would speak to us today. Do your work of illumination as we hear and receive from your word this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We might summarize Jesus' teaching in this great Reformation Day gospel reading this way. If we hold on to the word of Christ, we are his disciples, we receive true freedom, and we are declared children of God. If we hold on to the word of Christ, we are his disciples, we receive true freedom, and we are declared children of God. And so today I want to examine what it means to hold to Jesus' teaching, and then we will look at what comes from that according to our text. And so we'll begin today looking at this phrase, hold to my teaching. Jesus is speaking to the Jews, John tells us, who have come to believe in him. In verse 30, the verse preceding this verse, we see that Jesus was speaking about who he is. And many, John says, came to believe in him. And so in our passage today, he addresses those people. And what does he say? He says, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. You may have learned this passage a little bit differently. You may have learned it, if you continue in my word, or if you abide in my word. Those are all good ways to translate this. The word for teaching is the same word that we find in John chapter 1 when it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So Jesus says, if you continue or abide or hold to my teaching, then what? Then you are really my disciples. Before we talk about being disciples, let's take a few minutes to expand on this idea of continuing in, abiding in, holding to Jesus' word and teaching. Just from those three different translations, you probably get a sense that this might be a little bit of a difficult or a challenging concept for us to wrap our minds around. And perhaps the reason for this is is that we tend to intellectualize things. We can understand abiding or continuing or holding to Jesus' word and teaching in an intellectual sense. But of course, the challenge for us is that Jesus didn't mean these words intellectually. 
there's a real-life, active component to this. Because the word of Christ is never just intellectual. Jesus doesn't allow us to engage with his word and then walk away saying, well, that was a great thought exercise. It's not the way that God works. God's word is always at work convicting us of sin, showing us our hope in Jesus, shaping us and molding us into who he wants us to be. To abide in Jesus' word is to to live in repentance and in faith. To allow the law to convict us of our sin and amplify our need for someone to save us. And to believe the gospel when it promises me that Jesus paid for my sin and has given eternal life to all who would believe. From one angle, this is a word of assurance. It's a message of great assurance, a call, perhaps an invitation from Jesus for us to just remain in his word, continue in him, abide in him, hold to his teaching. But it is also a call to what we might call discipleship. So now let's look at what comes from, what is the the product of holding to God's teaching, Christ's word, The next phrase that we encounter, he says, you are really my disciples. If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. The word disciple or discipleship is one that gets thrown around a lot in the church, but we might not have a real good grasp of what it is and what it means. We know that Jesus, for example, called 12 disciples to follow him. He was following the The rabbinical tradition, the tradition of the rabbis, he selected this small group of men to learn from him. And so on one level, a disciple is a learner. We might think of it like an apprenticeship program for becoming a rabbi or a teacher. But the word is also used to refer to the wider audience of folks who would gather around to hear Jesus teach. A number of times in the Gospels, we see this word disciple referring to that larger group of followers and listeners and learners. But then we get to the end of Jesus' ministry in Matthew 28, and he calls upon those initial disciples, the 11 that were left, and he says, now you go out and make disciples of all nations. And so we get back to our text for today from John 8, and we see that Jesus sort of insinuates that there are two types of people following him and listening to him. There are those who who might hear what he says and aren't exactly sure what to make of it all. They admire the idea of Jesus, but they aren't actually holding to his teaching. And then there are those who are abiding in, continuing in, holding to his word. And he says, those are truly my disciples. And so this should force a question within all of our hearts and all of our minds. Am I one who likes the idea of Jesus? Or am I truly a disciple of Jesus who holds to his teaching and to his word? The very nature of being a disciple of another person is that you are setting aside your own control and your own sovereignty, and you are declaring that the other knows better than you do, and that you'll model your life after theirs. And so it forces that question, am I a disciple of Jesus, or do I just 
like some of what Jesus says and like some of what he teaches? Am I truly a disciple of Jesus, yielding my belief and my feelings to his teaching, or am I only interested in Jesus insofar as he serves me? If you hold to my teaching, Jesus says, you are really my disciples. The next statement for us to consider is this. You will be free indeed. Verse 32 says, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Verse 36, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And this is where we find this great paradox of the Christian faith and Christian freedom. Jesus says, hold to my teaching, submit yourself to me, to my ways, check your self-sovereignty and your self-rule at the door, and then you will know freedom. One of the things that you might notice when you read the Bible is that Jesus was much more concerned with spiritual freedom than he was with civil or political freedom. It's not uncommon to hear people misapply the words of Jesus about freedom, as if he were talking about our Bill of Rights or your station in life or your relationship with the civil laws around us. But Jesus' priority was always spiritual freedom, the freedom of the Christian. Not free from government overreach or economic shackles, but free from the power of sin and death. True freedom. Free from the burden to earn our own salvation. Free from trying to measure up and the pressure to make God happy with you by your own good works. These were the abuses of the church that were at the core of the Reformation. The, the medieval church was, was keeping people enslaved shackled, making people think that their salvation was dependent upon what they could do or what they could pay. The freedom of the Christian is one of the most difficult concepts and doctrines for people to understand because it runs so contrary to the way that the rest of the world works. And Luther understood this so well. He wore out confessors, spending hours making sure that he confessed every sin, and as, as soon as he left the confessional, he'd be right back in, confessing things that he was about to do, trying to make sure that he somehow stayed in God's favor, trying to purify his life enough to keep God from condemning him to hell. But as he read, and as he studied, and as he taught God's word, he, he began to understand that his standing before God, his righteousness was based entirely upon what Christ had done for him, not on what he could do. He began to see that God's law was intended to drive him to the Savior, not something that he had to achieve in order to be saved. His eyes were open to the fact that good works are not the product, are not the currency by which he could earn eternal life, but they were really the overflowing of already having received the promise of eternal life through faith in Jesus. Luther, we might say, discovered true freedom. That God supplied in his son Jesus everything that was required for the Christian, for both life and for salvation, that everything that we need 
can only be received by faith, never earned. Listen to what Luther wrote in that treatise, The Freedom of a Christian. Luther said this. He said, My God, without merit on my part, of his pure and free mercy, has given to me an unworthy, condemned, and contemptible creature all the riches of justification and salvation in Christ, so that I no longer am in want of anything except of faith to believe that this is so. For such a father, then, who has overwhelmed me with these inestimable riches of his, why should I not freely, cheerfully, and with my whole heart and from voluntary zeal do all that I know will be pleasing to him and acceptable in his sight. I will therefore give myself as a sort of Christ to my neighbor, as Christ has given himself to me, and will do nothing in this life except what I see will be needful, advantageous, and wholesome for my neighbor, since by faith I abound in all good things in Christ. Or we might say, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. This is true freedom, to know that I have received everything for life and salvation, inestimable riches for this life and for eternity from our gracious God, so that I am free to give my life away for others. That is freedom. Then you will know the truth. The truth will set you free. What is the truth? As Luther says, that by faith I abound in all good things in Christ. That I have everything that I need or ever will need. That I have been given infinitely more than I could ever deserve. When we speak of true freedom in civil or political terms, we miss what freedom truly is. The greatest enemy to freedom is not our political or national adversaries, but rather my own heart. The tendency of my own heart to run to something, to anything other than Christ, to hold to, to cling to, to embrace, to abide in something other than Jesus. Don't think for one minute that because you've never worn shackles that you aren't held captive by something. There are many who claim the name of Jesus today who are captive and enslaved by religious ideologies that aren't the gospel. Or let me say it this way, just because you're religious doesn't mean that you have found the true freedom of which Jesus speaks. Many religious people can't wrap their minds around this idea of Christian freedom because to receive this type of freedom, to be set free in the way that Jesus talks about in our text from John means we have to give up our sense of, of moral or social or religious superiority. It means we have to recognize that we can do nothing to earn God's favor. You can't be free in Christ and remain judgmental and critical and superior in your own mind to others. J. 
Jesus says that when and only when you abide in his teaching, you hold to his word, then you will know freedom. That brings me to the third result of holding to Jesus' teaching, and that's expressed in the phrase that we see in verse 35, that a son belongs forever. Starting in verse 34, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. Jesus contrasts the role of a slave on one hand with that of a child. He compares the status of each individual. The slave may play a role in the family for a time, but only insofar as he benefits the family. His relationship with the family is transactional. It may help to think of this like an employee who's working for a family business. That employee may be invited over for a meal occasionally, but if the employee ever ends up unable to work for whatever reason, if he ever ceases to be useful to the family or to the business, he probably won't play a significant role in that family moving forward. Contrast that with the reality of what it means to be a child. Our children aren't a part of our family because of their usefulness or because of their utility, but because of their status as a child. It's because of who they are, not what they can do, not what they offer to us. And the larger perspective of what Jesus says here is that by nature we are all slaves to sin, but Jesus has come that you might be a child, not a slave. Remember our text for today is part of the Gospel of John, and so we must think about what came before this. What else has Jesus said about this before our text here? And in John chapter 1, John tells us about Jesus. It says this, He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to what? Become children. Children of God. All who receive Jesus, John says, all who believe in his word, all who hold to his teaching, all who abide in his word become children of God. In Christ, God sees you as a child, not an employee not a slave. And this is the beauty of the theology that comes out of the Protestant Reformation that we remember and celebrate today. Before the Reformation, you had no assurance of being a child of God. It was taught that to be welcomed into God's kingdom was contingent upon what you could do or earn or contribute or pay. The, the relationship was transactional. But in the Reformation, the true gospel of Jesus was uncovered, was rediscovered. The spotlight was removed from us and our performance, and it was pointed on Jesus and his performance. We are only set free from our slavery to sin by the true Son. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. 
Listen to how Paul picked up on this very idea in Galatians chapter 4. Galatians 4, Paul wrote these words, But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit of God who calls out, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, he has made you also an heir. Perhaps the most beautiful truth coming out of the Reformation is that you are free from the burden of a transactional relationship with God. Jesus redeemed you. He completed the transaction, and now you are simply by faith a child, welcome because of your status, not because of what you can offer or contribute or accomplish. So what are we to do? How do we respond to Jesus' word to us today? It's really quite simple. It's how we always respond to his word. We, we repent of our sin. Repent of the areas of our life in which we have allowed ourselves to be enslaved. Whether it's enslaved to, to money or to vanity or to politics, to the need for superiority, to the pleasures of our flesh. We repent of those chains of addiction and anger and resentment and unforgiveness. As Jesus would say, repent and believe the good news. And what is the good news? That God has given us his word. That he has invited us to abide in his word. And to be his disciples. That he has set us free from earning our salvation. That he has given us everything we will ever need in Christ. And that he has declared that all who come to him by faith are his children. God sent his son born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship as children. I'll close by reminding you of those words of Martin Luther. For such a father then who has overwhelmed me with these inestimable riches of his, why should I not freely, cheerfully, and with my whole heart and from voluntary zeal do all that I know will be pleasing to him and acceptable in his sight? I will therefore give myself as a sort of Christ to my neighbor as Christ has given himself to me and will do nothing in this life except what I see will be needful, advantageous, and wholesome for my neighbor." Since by faith I abound in all good things in Christ. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you that you have given us all good things in Christ. That you have overwhelmed us with inestimable riches that we could never deserve. Lord, loosen our grip on this world, the things of this world, 
and on all the things to which our sinful nature is drawn that cause us to doubt your goodness, lead us to trust in other things. God, give us a taste of that true freedom, not in the ways that our world thinks of freedom, but only as you can give. Help us to see and to truly believe that freedom is found in seeing all that you have done and responding by offering up our lives in service to you. And Lord, we worship you that by grace alone, through faith alone, you have redeemed us from slavery and called us your children. We want to be your disciples. Help us to hold to your word, to abide in your teaching. We can't, but you can. We thank you for the promise of your forgiveness and grace that we get to receive at your table this morning. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.